Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about comic books. The only podcast where two guys talk about comic books. There's no other podcast that even knows that comic books exist. Um, I am one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other person who's aware of comic books on the planet, and my name is Kevin Hines. Kevin and I are lifelong comic book fans. We are comedian-ish, and we do this podcast where we talk about comics. Mm-hmm. In our regular season, we're talking about the superior Spider-Man, but what we're doing today is a special episode that actually has started happening every other episode, <laughs> where we talk about the early Chris Claremont X-Men issues and also catch up on email. We call it Mutants and Mailbag. Welcome to it. Yeah, we're getting a lot more mail. People are mailing us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. Uh, and we want to answer as much of it as we can. We're not getting everything, but we're, we're getting to a lot of it. But to do that, we've sort of had to dedicate an episode to mail. Uh, but so that it's not all mail, we also spend the first half telling people to read the most read comics that have ever been put out by Marvel. Right? Like the most popular run in since the 60s. Yeah. We're, we're covering those and telling people that they're good. It's kind of like this is a podcast about sci-fi movies, and now it's like, let's check out Star Wars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're, we're really enjoying it overall. It's really fun. And, you know, if you um, like epic fantasy books, Lord of the Rings might be an interesting book <laughs> to try. Do you ever meet someone who seems like they should read Lord of the Rings, and they, but then you find out they don't? Like, our mutual friend Max Bank has never read any Lord of the Rings books, and I was like, that seems crazy to me. You seem like someone who would have dove into those. Just I don't know why. Just He seems like a literate guy, and he's got a ponytail, and he's got a <laughs> bunch of books. I think Lord of the Rings is a little it's a little tough to get through. Yeah, it's not as much fun as like Game of Thrones or even, um, yeah, or just lots of that, of that sword and sorcery genre, even though it sort of created it. I think you have to be a little obsessive to read Lord of the Rings. It's good, but also like you have to like, not mind reading chapters and chapters of sort of boring parts. <laughs> yeah, it gets really boring sometimes. There's, and there's just lots of proper nouns, lots of discussions of geography. Yeah. Lots of sort of like mentions of a history of a race that's not going to come into the main story at all. Yeah, to me, it's, it's like the history and uh, um, not, not necessarily the politics of it, but like the world of it, which is both what makes it cool, but also can just slow down the reading of those books. Yeah, there'll be like chapters where like the fellowship is going, you know, across the land of Rohan or something and talking about all the horses and how important the horses are to the people there. And you're like, how many pages have we been talking about this? And yeah. It's like, oh, wow, 20 or something like that. Yeah. I remember Return of the King took me forever to get through. Um, well, especially because that story, the Return of the King, the main story ends on page like two. And then it goes on for like another 1000 pages <laughs> to like wrap everything up. Okay, you know what? I think I think people are right who haven't read it. And maybe people are right who never looked at the old X Men. I think Max Bank, your friend and our my friend, has read it. I don't think he, he said I he don't hasn't? think he knows he's read it, but I think he has. Seems like it. He's it, he looks like someone who's had the effect of Lord of the Rings happen in his life. <laughs> um uh, but yeah, well, we're, so Kevin and I are going back and reading the X Men. It's been really fun. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we're we really in, enjoying it and stuff. And Kevin, this episode, we're going to go over issues 114, 115, 116, 117. That's right. And what what's your impression of these overall? Uh, I didn't, and uh, they're really fun. I didn't enjoy them quite as much as the previous arc with the circus and the Magneto uh, volcano trap but, with the nanny robot. Um, but they're pretty <laughs> good. 
the Savage Land is a really fun, beautiful location. And it's right, this, this battle, yeah. th- this battle, they're in the Savage Land, yeah, which is like the Arctic dinosaur tropical paradise where Kazar and his saber toothed tiger live. Uh, I think Sauron is a villain who's very funny looking, uh, <laughs> is a bit much as a villain goes. And there's also like the petrified man, and I didn't quite get a feel for him. So the villains aren't quite <laughs> as fun as um, previous stories with Mesmero and Magneto and stuff. Are these like are the Savage Land guys like established characters? I mean, I know that Kazar is. Kazar is like the Lord of the Savage Land. He is the superhero in residence of the Savage Land, and there's like a Kazar comic book and stuff like that. But is Sauron a hero that like Burn and Claremont made, or is he just he's a dude that was floating around the the Savage Land mythology? In these stories, I don't think he's a Savage Land character. In these stories, they refer to fighting him before. Cyclops has fought Sauron before. He knows all about this guy. He's barking orders at his okay. team. Okay. Um, okay. And then somehow he got to the Savage Land where he fits, you know, because he's a dinosaur person. So he fits <laughs> very well there. He really he really should have been there before. I mean, yeah. like, he's a dinosaur. He's kind of like a were dinosaur. Yeah. He's kind of a vampire were dinosaur. And there's this land of dinosaurs, and he wasn't there. It'd be like this, it'd be like this a hidden land of Statue of Liberties. And but then separately than that, there's a person who turns into a giant lady in a robe, and it's like you should really go to the Statue of Liberty Land. You'd fit in great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have not read those older stories. This is not the first Savage Land story or the first Sauron story. I think it might be the first Petrified Man story, but I don't know for sure. I got a little lost at that point in the story. Yeah. So there's a there's a the Sauron is a guy who can suck your life force and turn in, and if he but if he accidentally takes too much, he'll trigger his evil side, which is a talking pterodactyl right and also the human the human side means well i guess so i've read stories where i thought the human side was also evil he also seems to be able to hypnotize people which is just a he's got a lot of powers going on and then in the middle of it like you said there's the petrify man which is they took a regular human being and performed some this alien race or or this maybe rebel race in the savage land performed some ritual on him that made him basically an all-powerful god who seems to have control of all matter but he just restricts himself to building cities in the savage land so uh, before we get into this we talk about what we talked about just a few minutes before we recorded uh the under hidden dinosaur lands as a trope so you were talking about you told me about it arthur conan doyle which i've heard of but not read so Arthur Conan Doyle, famously the creator of Sherlock Holmes, I think this is so funny. He had like a lot of other books and stories that he wrote and kind of his number two, a distant number two after Sherlock Holmes was Professor Challenger. He, and that was his name and also his personality. He liked to challenge established accepted things in science, which Arthur Conan Doyle also kind of enjoyed doing. Uh, but in the Professor Challenger stories, he would often go to the Lost World, which was like a hidden land in South America. I thought I had remembered it being Antarctica, but it's not. But it was like in Argentina. Like it was like kind of close to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be like lots of animals and weird, you know, things that we thought had been lost. Um, and you were mentioning John Carter, I think. Well, or no, I'm sorry. Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the creator of Tarzan. His second famous title was John Carter, who goes to Mars. But he also had one. He had one about a guy who went to Venus and somebody went to the center of the Earth. And he also had one about uh, the land that time forgot, which is a Arctic or Antarctic. I'm not sure which pole it was on. Land with dinosaurs uh, that like a, uh, a World War II submarine or maybe a German U-boat somehow get, end up there and explore this land of cave people and dinosaurs. And it's one of these weird lands where 
for some reason, the deeper into the island you go, and I can't remember which way it goes. I think you either go further back in time, evolutionary, or or forward in time. Uh, so like you get older dinosaurs and and more devolved humans in one way or the other, and they sort of explore it until they race out. Edgar Sproul's always does the thing where these stories are written as if they are you're being told the true story of this. So they, yeah. the person always has to leave the fantastical land to tell you the story. And then the next book, they have to somehow go back there. Um, it's funny. What, what a weird trope, right? That there's just like a little sealed off, nice, neat, almost like Walt Disney World um, theme park of an older civilization or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Jurassic Park is not quite that same thing, but it's also similar, right? That there's like this little island of dinosaurs. Uh, it's built by science in modern yeah, times. That's right. Having dinosaurs trapped into a little a little spot in our planet is a weird thing that just like works. Yeah, and a lot of our sci-fi writers kind of just are into one way or the other. And uh, um, DC has one too. I'm pretty sure I forget what it's called because I know like there's like a World War II, um, maybe the Losers. I forget the World War II band end up there for a while. I also just like the idea that these guys, like Arthur Conan Doyle, who had Sherlock Holmes, like just without question, one of the most successful series of stories, you know, in literature, a hit character that people are still obsessed with today. Mm-hmm. But he also would take time and write Professor Challenger. Yeah, you know, I made I made my um, my sometimes writing partner Neil Casey do a sketch about this, where Arthur Conan Doyle is talking to his publisher, and the, the publisher like got another Holmes. He's like something better, and he's like wants to write like these other insane characters. And were they all the, uh, used the real ones or you made up? I, w- I think that is where we went into Sketchland, Kevin, and we made mm-hmm. up. I think I had them like the Boo Boo Gang or something like that. Um, the sketch was not a hit. <laughs> uh, it's not a good idea to write a sketch where there's a lot of um, literature, literature history necessary sure. to even be on, to even know what the premise is talking about. Yeah, you've, had, it, you've had better success with sketches about um, small government rules <laughs> on uh, uh, parking lots and, and traffic lights. I guess it should be said now that nobody's ever bought a sketch of mine <laughs> <laughs> or even asked. Uh-huh. But um, I did write hundreds of them. And uh, one of them was about Arthur Conan Doyle trying to pitch his lesser characters, which I think is funny. Yeah, it is very funny. I mean, I think these guys just like wrote a book a month. And so they just like, I need to do something different. Uh, but it does feel like in, in retrospect, you're like, you had Tarzan. Why did you also have... The, the Edgar Rice Burroughs ones is funny. He did this John Carter of Mars series, which was his second most popular series for sure. Uh, but then somebody else started doing one that was basically a ripoff on Venus. And when that oh, okay. happened, he started doing his own guy who went to Venus basically to push this other writer out. It's like, hey, if you want a guy who goes to Venus, I should be the one doing it. Which yeah. is famously one of our dad's favorite books. I remember them. I remember the hardcover uh, Venus stories in Dad's bookshelf because yeah. um, um, they're just sort of cool sci-fi covers. When I was reading uh, John Carter and Tarzan, he's like, oh, you got to read uh, the Venus series. I was like, what? You're talking to me, <laughs> Dad? Are we were relating yeah, yeah, about yeah. something? So I yeah. read it. I was like, I'm definitely going to read it. Oh, you know, one more, one more hidden... Uh, I, I remember this because it was referred to in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic book by Alan Moore, The Blazing World. This one's really interesting. 1666 uh, by Margaret Cavendish, the Duchess of Newcastle. She wrote that you could go to the Arctic Circle and find sort of a gateway to a utopian land called the Blazing World, which she used to write like sort of a satire of the modern world. 
but it also had like sci-fi stuff going on. That's kind of rad. 1666, I mean, that's like basically, you know, 40 years after Shakespeare. Uh, like that's, that's, that's almost contemporary of Shakespeare. Also, I got to think there weren't a ton of female writers writing anything, uh, let alone like things that were. Yeah. So this is a Duchess of, I mean, this basically is like a sci-fi pioneering work. Yeah. It's that's pretty, and it, fantastic. And it also is in the, let's go to the cold part of the world and there will be a hidden land. Yeah. And that's sort of happening now with climate change. You can go up there and it's pretty warm, I bet. Um, so we're really making this reality. Okay. So the X-Men are in the, in the savage <laughs> right, land. Right, we're talking about the X-Men. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I really enjoyed these issues. I'm so excited that we're reading them. This, this particular four issue batch is like a little bit of a kind of more of a very complicated monster of the week, but we are, we are getting to learn about their interactions more. Like you say, Wolverine is kind of ascendant. He's, he's starting to really come to the forefront of the X-Men's interactions. We got a, we had a storm thirst trap uh, in <laughs> yeah, the middle yeah. of this, which happens now and then. Every now and then they make Storm come out in like a bikini or something, and she's always oblivious to her beauty, and the boys in the X-Men go boing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? uh, uh, Tom Burton really loves Wolverine, so yeah, he's taking the forefront more. Cockrum's gone, so Nightcrawler has a little bit receded. Just receded. I mean, in the sense that, like, I think all the X-Men do get pretty equal share, maybe colossus gets the least screen time uh, if anyone but i mean beast gets a ton yeah. for a guy who's not on the team there, there is one thing that's really fun about since the all of the x-men that we've read right since claremont's taken over and it's ratcheted up since burn which is like there's always like four or five things it's like it's chaotic yeah there's there's a recklessness it feels like out of control it is not a neat little economical story it's not like they're all trapped in a haunted house and there's like a creature they have to find to get out of the house they're like there's multiple villains it's confusing um there's a subplot going on we cut back to another wing of the team and they got their own thing going on it's it's sort of a sprawling soap opera feel there's also they rarely they don't seem to have a purpose like i know their purpose is to like protect humans to prove that mutants are good i guess is their purpose as x-men mm-hmm. to be good mutants yeah. yeah but like it feels more just like they are thrown from one thing to the other and then like uh, you know like the 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 last arc we read they got hypnotized by mesmero sort of accident like mesmero kind of caught them and trapped them and then while their magneto showed up and captured them and took them someplace and now they're being thrown into the savage land like they're kind of just getting thrown from thing to thing. None of these are their choice. They're not like, let's go to the Savage Land and deal with some X-Men business. They're just there. Yeah. Uh, like, they're spending this whole arc trying to get closer to home, and they don't make it anywhere near home. I don't think they go home in the next batch of issues, which we're not covering today. So it's just like, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's closer to, like, Kirby's Fantastic Four in a way, where it's just like these stories bleed together and... You don't really have the team getting together and going, great, what's next? Yeah, what can we do to further our clearly defined purpose more? Like Even like Daredevil patrols Hell's Kitchen yeah. or something like that. So you could start a Daredevil story where he's just on patrol checking out a, whatever, 20 square block area of Manhattan for bad guys, you know. But um, yeah, the X-Men are just kind of like they're in space, they're in a jungle, right. they're, you know, being uh, in a circus. I mean, even like Ditko's Spider-Man, which, you know, is just sort of like, he does this, now he does this. And he's basically just a guy going out trying to stop crime. Uh, And he's always going back to that, like every issue or most issues where this is just sort of like the X-Men exist 
and they're in this world with lots of crazy things and they're kind of consumed by it, which is very FF, right? It's like the FNAF now are with the Inhumans. Oh, now they're in space. Uh, Now they're dealing with Galactus. Oh, now they're at Wakanda. Well, we know that John Byrne is obsessed with Kirby's Fantastic Four as he will at in his the next phase of his career after this take over the Fantastic Four and do an incredible job with it. It's always hard to say that things are good in the Marvel Universe because you end up saying incredible, amazing, and spectacular yeah. and you sound nuts. I think Claremont but, um, is also a huge FF fan. So the, they might just be like, these guys loved those old Kirby stories and are just, whether or not uh, deliberately or subconsciously, they're making a comic that feels like that. It's also probably why it was a hit. I, I Was it a hit at this point? I assume yes. I, I wonder like what was the context of these stories like? Was this the hot title at Marvel now or is it still the sort of upstart title where Claremont and Byrne are trying to like make some noise, you know, like trying to have like big stuff go down to like get noticed? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's probably pretty big at this point. I mean, it went from bi-monthly to monthly. Yeah. Uh, so it's selling well. It might not be. I, I, I feel like you always hear that it became huge with the Dark Phoenix saga. That's when it became okay. like the X-Men. But okay. I mean, I think before it wasn't like it was not selling well up until then. I think it built and built and built and built. And that's just sort of where it crescendoed into like, OK, this is the title. So one interesting thing about this particular story, the plot of the story we're reading, is that, speaking of Phoenix, Phoenix and Beast have become separated from the group. Beast not in the X-Men, but he was like with the X-Men in their previous adventure. And um, they think that Beast and Phoenix think the rest of the X-Men are dead. Right. And they go tell Professor X that, and nobody clears up that misconception during any of the issues that we are reading. Right. I mean, they have us. And then also the rest of the X-Men think Beast and Phoenix are dead. Right. And like... They have in a way, like, Professor X has Cerebro, right? He can use that to, like, scan and just, like, let's see. Yeah, he's, like, the most powerful telepath. Also, he was surprised by the news from Jean Grey. But I guess the whole thing is that Professor X is a good guy, so he doesn't, like, recklessly just scan minds for info, right? Just by his own discipline. You would think he would want to just, like, let's see if anybody survived. I'll just do a quick scan of... Just say hi. Magneto's base. Just give a call. Uh, but they don't do that. And yes, the uh, X-Men who uh, Jean Grey thinks are, died believe that Jean Grey and the Beast are dead. And that misconception is not cleared up. So you kind of have like the main plot is the majority of the X-Men in the Savage Land fighting Sauron and the Petrified Man. Right. So like they go to the Savage Land and Wolverine's excited to kill dinosaurs. And <laughs> there's also a moment where Cyclops shaves his beard and realizes Corsair is his dad. That it's such a funny realization. <laughs> During the Starjammers adventure, we've, we've, we meet Scott Summer's dad. Phoenix, using her mind powers, realizes, oh, this is Scott's, my boyfriend's dad. Uh, but Corsair begs her not to tell him for reasons that I do not remember why. Yeah, I don't think they were good. And um, yes, yeah, so when he's shaving off his facial hair and looking at a reflection upon, he's like, hey, I look like that guy, Corsair. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. And then he has like full-on memories of Corsair being his dad. And he's like, yes, there's like no he doubt. He threw me out of a plane when I was like separated from my parents or whatever. Yeah, it's very, very funny that that works. Uh, also, he looks funny with a mustache. What else? And then Sauron shows up and like, he's like a dude and he tries to, st- I don't know why, he steals some of Storm's energy, which turns him into Sauron dinosaur form. 
Yeah, he's in his normal form, he's a guy named Carl, and then he absorbs life energy, but if he absorbs too much, he turns into evil dinosaur talking pterodactyl Does he form. need to steal life energy? I think yes, because it's shown in a flashback that he came to this land and he was sucking life energy off of animals, but I think humans give the best life energy, so he was kind of being a little Can he just, like, eat a steak instead? I mean, like, does he have to do that to survive? It's not clear. Okay. Uh, and then he, like, hypnotizes Wolverine, who then, like, attacks everybody um, and gets, like... Oh, we also learn Wolverine has a healing factor, right? It's just beginning to emerge. He says, I heal real fast at yeah, one point. Yeah, and you can't break my bones. But it's, yeah, um, and that's kind of new. It's not full-on presented as this, like, insanely fast right. healing power. He just kind of says, I heal fast the way some people in real life brag about, like, oh, I... Yeah. You know, I, I don't get sick very long. I mean, a lot of like superheroes that. heal fast. The Flash um, heals but fast. But that's, that's starting to show up. to heal up faster. His, his powers. Like, there's just offhanded. Uh, it's kind of you know, It's like, oh, I broke my leg. It's better two weeks later because of spider powers. But more just like, I don't want to have my character in a broken a cast for months and months and months. But Wolverine, of course, will eventually evolve to the part where he you can see him healing in front of you. Right. You can, like, like burn that. him to his bones. And, like, one panel later, he's like, ouch. Ed. <laughs> That really singed, yeah. bub. Clothes grow back, too. He's like, my clothes have healing factors. Yep, they're a suit now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a confusing little adventure. We still got a lot of Cyclops barking orders. This is a Marvel thing that always looks funny to me. Is like somebody's designated as the leader, like Reed Richards or Captain America or Cyclops. So you have to see them calling out battle plans to establish their leadership. That always looks, looks really dumb yeah. to me. Uh, it's like they were doing fine. Yeah, like does this... This moment where he like tells Banshee, "You shoot him from the, you shoot him from the top. I'll shoot him from the bottom." And Banshee's like, Br- well, he just "Brilliant, goes, high low, high low." Banshee, yeah. And Banshee's like, "I know exactly what he means. I'll be up but, high, he'll be down." And low. Banshee also thinks like, "What a, oh, what a smart decision. Let's both blast him with our blasting powers, basically." Yeah. Then they just like shoot him at the same time. Uh, it, but it's like a, it's like a Marvel trope where it's like the leader has to call out a play like a quarterback or something. At least the X Men, you see them training in the danger room a fair amount, so it like it makes sense that they would have moves and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where sometimes when teams do that, I'm like, when did you come up with this? We got some of that. That's kind of fun. Uh, uh, we get we got a little Storm's claustrophobia is referred yeah. to here. Uh, I don't know how long that stays as part of her character, but it's been pretty big I so think far for a long time, right? Because it's definitely there. With the Morlocks when she's in the sewers. Uh, I think it's a thing she's always uh, dealing with and aware of. I like it. It fits her character too, right? Like this person who controls weather in open spaces wouldn't do well yeah. underground. I mean, she has a backstory reason for it as well, but like it also fits her power set. Yeah. And it's just nice when a hero, especially an extremely powerful one like Storm or Superman or whatever, has like a kryptonite, like something that can like temporarily at least shut them down because otherwise they could sort of like do whatever imagine if superman had arachnophobia yeah or a fear of bald men i mean that would really play <laughs> oh, into man. his mythology wow. well we, we would torment him yeah. i would take advantage of that frequently hey superman what do you think of this <laughs> pointing at the old noggin <laughs> no uh, i mean i was just thinking lex Luthor. you know yeah. batman fear of clowns uh yeah so and then uh the last issue is kind of like a little of the of 117 is a little bit of a departure it's a flashback for professor x well before we get to that there's also when kazar shows up he asks the x-men to help him and cyclops says no like that's very funny to me too like he's the, these heroes are just cyclops is kind of frequently being like that's none of our business we're gonna go help professor x the most powerful telepath 
on the planet instead. Our priorities, Professor X. Yeah. And you can't get to a phone? I mean, like, is there any well, way to get word to Professor I mean, X that you're alive? You're in the Savage Land, so no. I don't think there's a, a rotary phone sitting around. But the only reason they help mm-hmm. the, the case are out is because, like, the exit is frozen over. They're forced to help yeah. him. And then, the, I don't know, the way they help them, like, Cyclops gets captured and a couple other people, uh, Colossus, Kazar, Banshee all get captured. And then they're sort of just freed. Like, the Petrified Man part never, I don't quite get his deal. He's a super powerful god that gets created and could do anything until he can't and then he's defeated. Yeah, he, like, shoots eye blasts at Cyclops and Cyclops is like, I'm better at eye blast than you. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I believe that. He's eye blasted a ton. I mean, that's his thing, right? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, then we get to the last issue, which uh, it starts with like the X-Men coming out of the Savage Land, getting picked up by a Japanese trawler or something or some government boat. Uh, But then it cuts away to Professor X and this psychic battle with uh, Farouk or something like that. In his past. Uh, He basically remembers when he first decided that there must be a team of good mutants. Yeah, and that it's in his youth when he could still walk. And Farouk, that he runs across an evil telepath. And Farouk, does he come back in the New Mutants? Uh, I don't, re- I don't remember him, but I haven't read the New Mutants since the eighties. Well, my friend, I do know this character is the main villain in the Legion TV show, that really has no real connection to the X Verse beyond oh. a few that light maybe. trappings. Like Legion is a X Man universe character, and so is Farouk, but. They're very different in the show, but the show is really cool and trippy. But the main villain is Farouk. Uh, this is just like a one issue thing where Farouk is really evil, sitting in a restaurant, sees Professor X, and they go into their minds and have a mind battle, and Professor X murders him. Yeah, uh, he also gets his pocket picked by Storm. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that is really fun. Storm's um, pickpocket past is a real. I really love it. Like that is a a fun stroke of genius. That like the queen has this past as a pauper and a scared one, but a capable one. She's got... Separate from her weather powers. She's got a lot of things, right? Because, like, her parents died in a, a, a attack. A, a terrorist accident Yeah, like, uh, so she has that. She became a, a, a pickpocket. Storm. And then she became oh, yeah. a goddess, and now she's a mutant superhero. Um, she's yeah. just a lot going on for a character that just her power set alone is a lot. And has this been explored? It must have been, because there's been so many X-books... I mean, I definitely remember a lot of Storm like love stories in the 80s. But uh, the thing that strikes me about Storm is she's so reserved. Mm -hmm. Like she's had such a – she kind of has a Spock-like personality, like a very analytical, like what is the proper move? No, we must be loyal. You know, Professor X has earned our trust. You know, she's sort of a calming voice of reason compared to like Wolverine or Cyclops or something. But, like, her life has been such insane chaos. Yeah. Uh, what breaks down that wall? Like, what makes Storm obsessive? Like, I would I would make Storm either fall in love or have some villain of, like, I want the, what unlocks what unlocks the rageaholic in Storm or something. I mean, I, or the loveaholic or She's whatever. definitely not emotionless, but I think she just sort of is like, oh, it's not a big deal being naked or kissing or, I think... It comes off more like that. Like, she's sort of a free love Almost alien. type thing. Oh, okay. Uh, like, this is it's, this is the most natural thing in the world. Why are you making such a big deal yeah. about it? Uh, I, I think. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I know she dates Forge for a while, but I don't know the details of that. Well, Kevin, if we're ever given a chance to write a comic, let's have a Storm love story in there. I want Storm to be obsessed with, like, a toxic man. Well, Storm's backstory and, like... Or one uh, a toxic love interest, and Cyclops's backstory and Wolverine's backstory all have lots of lots of things going on. 
Colossus doesn't really have that much, right? He just like came from Russia. And he's like a good dude. Yeah, and like Nightcrawler, for a guy who looks like a demon, doesn't seem to have a ton going on in his backstory. That's crazy. He's like the Worf of X-Men. Because when I watch like Next Generation Star Trek, I'm always like, Worf is fascinating to me. A Klingon who was raised by humans. and they, they But there's like 15 data stories for every like half Worf episode. Yeah. And I was like, let's get some more Worf going. I could use some more Nightcrawler, too. It's just like, what was Nightcrawler's childhood like? I'm sure there are stories about it, but it doesn't seem like as complicated as anyone he, else's. He was human. He was born human. Was he? Yeah, and then and then these things showed up, I think. He, he, he grew fur in a tail? Yeah, I think it was like puberty or something like well, that. Well, anyway, I, his like a lot of these characters, what their deals are less interesting than Storms and, and Cyclops and uh, Wolverine. Those guys get the lion. They get enough backstory for the rest of the team. But yeah, then it ends right. with uh, like Jean Grey leaving the team because like everyone's dead. Uh, oh, and and yeah. uh, Professor X goes to space. He agrees to go to space. Yeah. So like everyone just with Lalandra, his his uh, his love, his love that he met a few hours ago. Yeah. Yeah, everyone sort of, the X-Men are done. The X-Men are over. That's the end of the X-Men. I really thought the run was going to be longer than this. I can't believe people are making that big a deal about it. It's it's very interesting that the leader of the X-Men is gone, the most powerful member is gone, and the rest of them are lost. Uh, yeah. So it's like, and for a long time, like this is four issues of them being off the map, and they're not yeah. back next issue, because I, I started to read that one. So I don't know when they get back to, to Westchester <laughs> and their mansion. What are we going to read next time, Kev? Um, we'll start with issue 118. We'll read four or five issues. Well, I'm excited to keep this uh, journey going. Yeah. Uh, though next, we get, we get a lot of interest in this. There are a lot of fans of the X-Men out there. So email us. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us where what we should be excited about. Tell us if we should be keeping our eyes on anything as we read this. Mm-hmm. Help us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're excited to dive into it. So, But we're also too lazy to do research. So tell us if there's something we should be thinking about. Yeah, maybe about. there is more to Nightcrawler. Maybe there's more to Colossus than I realize. Let me know what that is. And our email is screwitcomics at uh, gmail. Mm-hmm. And I guess we can take a break and then do some Let's email. Let's do okay? that. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will. And we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. So we're going to be doing some emails. Uh, as Will said before the break, if you want to email us, it's screwitcomics at gmail.com. Uh, so we'll answer a few emails and we'll wrap up. And then next week we'll finish up Superior Spider-Man too. So get, yeah. you know, we got a get lot ready. going on. Just like the X-Men, we have a lot of stuff happening. We got a lot. Yeah, we just we get thrown from Savage Land to uh, <laughs> Japanese warboat. Uh, we have an email from Paul Bonilla. Uh, this came June 14th. So just to give you an idea of how far behind we are. Uh, he loved our idea. At some point, we discussed a what-if idea of Zaji and Beyonder falling in love. I think that must have been you, Will, because that sounds insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so he's saying, what if instead of creating Battle World... The Beyonder created a Love Island Bachelor world. <laughs> so instead really of the villains fun. and heroes having to win the battle in order to be granted their greatest desires, what if they were forced to fall in love in order to be granted their greatest desires? 
so I think right away we're putting Storm in this story for Will. Oh, yeah. I'm curious about that side of her. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be the most fun to put the characters that would be the hardest time. Like, Johnny Storm would be no fun. Yeah. Because he falls in love too easily. So the people who don't fall in love so easily? Yeah. I don't um, know who... Uh, uh, or the people that would, like... Or people that would, uh, like... A cloak from Cloak and Dagger seems pretty reserved. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> things like that. So just be like a lot of uh, um, strange... Silver Surfer? <laughs> um, just a lot of like emotionally reserved. Yeah. <laughs> like just refusing to talk people. Um, uh, like Black Bolt. I guess he's married, but um, can't speak. That'd be fun. <laughs> he's very handsome, but like won't talk can't to anyone. speak. What a funny, what a funny thing to throw on a character <laughs> in a comic book. Um, maybe the... Uh, um, the original robot Punisher that the Galactus threw at the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Puppet Master. He never seems to have a partner. Ox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Ox. You must find love. Oh, what about Doc uh, Ock? Doc Ock would want to fall in love, but he would be really bad at it. Yep. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be, he'd, most of the villains are like, they're just so angry. <laughs> yeah, I would want just villains. I would want mostly villains. Yeah. Vulture trying to meet somebody, you know, <laughs> over 60. Yeah. Vulture just being like, uh, so do you like wings? <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I guess, I guess I like wings. Do you like wings? <laughs> That's all Vulture talks about, probably. Yeah, it'd be pretty fun. I like that idea. Uh, he calls that secret love wars. Um, Dean Spencer emails us. Uh, I'm rereading Amazing Spider-Man and re-listening to your podcast, our first season, Will, where we covered Ditko and Lee's Spider-Man. If you go into your omnibus, Kevin, he's referring to the Amazing Spider-Man omnibus I have that has all of the Ditko issues in one giant volume that is impossible to lift. To lift and It's like the Majorner of uh, collections. Yeah, I need like a special table just to pull that out and read it, so I just never do. Um but he mentions a letter in the letter column mentioning that Ditko can't draw feet. There's a letter that mentions Ditko can't draw feet. <laughs> then in issue 22 with the former Circus of Crime, uh, now called Crafty Clown and his Masters of Menace, <laughs> uh, J. Jonah Jameson, Betty Brant, and Peter Parker had an art gallery with a giant foot painting and a person describing, I wish I could draw feet like that. Uh, wow, so it, Ditko read the letter. It seems like it may be a dig on Ditko in the speech bubble, but I'm unsure of the commentary that Ditko is making. I wouldn't have thought that he'd be reading the fan mail, so maybe Lee had somehow after altered the picture in the gallery to make his joke work. Who knows? Not I. Yeah, I mean, it could be Lee defending Ditko. Yeah. Uh, though that doesn't sound like Lee. I don't know. Uh, I think Lee I think Lee really admired Ditko. I mean, he, Yeah, but he seems more like a guy who pokes fun. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Then defense. I don't know. Uh, it seems purposeful by somebody. That yeah, that's a good that's a good catch, Dean Spencer. I love that. I do remember that. Like, there's a gallery of feet shots, and there's this, this guy going, "Wish I could draw feet like that." And it sounded like Ditko being like sympathetic to somebody wanting to be able to draw stuff well. Yeah. Or is that character Ditko looking at the feet? That's kind of what I assumed when I read that old issue. Yeah. It's always funny to me when you see like interviews with cartoonists or illustrators and they'll talk about the things they feel comfortable drawing and things that are either hard for them to draw or that they struggled with. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? I feel like the Hernandez brothers who do the Love and Rockets comic book that I love talked about drawing clothes as well as Ditko. Mm-hmm. And then Hernandez could, Jamie, uh, Jaime Hernandez could draw cars really well. And he was like, oh, yeah, like I always wanted to. Oh, no, he can't. He's like, I have trouble drawing cars. I sort of try not to have a ton of cars. <laughs> you hear that about horses and cars a lot where people don't like drawing those things. Um, uh, Rob Leefield uh, uh, doesn't admit this, but clearly doesn't like drawing feet because he often like obscures his feet in mists and like <laughs> like they're just off panel constantly is something people notice all the time it's very funny once you notice it because like he rarely yeah. rarely draws them uh we have an email from michael held well this is going to take you back a time this is from june 16th um uh long time caller first time listener i've been around since the fantastic four days and we'll be here until long time caller first time listener he said yeah so that's deliberately reversed? Uh, I don't know. I'm just reading okay. what he wrote. Okay. Um, uh, uh, I think he had that reversed by accident. Okay. I've been around since the Fantastic Four days and we'll be here until the end. Love the show. In light of the revelation about Batman's bedroom activities, and do you know what that's about, Will? Um, yeah, there's some like thing where he doesn't go down on people. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the DC overlords wanted to take this out of either a book or a TV show or something because yeah. it wasn't appropriate. The Harley Quinn cartoon, which is like a comic, comedic cartoon about the DC universe. I guess they had some sequence where Batman went down on somebody and they wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let them put it in, not because of graphicness, but because Batman wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, very yeah, I saw funny. The, the tweet storms that exploded. It's so funny. It's so funny for that. Like, just to be like, ah, we're not comfortable like with Batman in a graphic sexual sequence in this cartoon. But then it's like, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to him. Batman doesn't do oral. Um, he definitely would. I mean, he uses any tool available <laughs> to get the job done. Like, that's his whole thing. I mean, I have trouble imagining Batman kissing or having sex at all. He doesn't seem like a guy who, like, talk right. about Storm being uh, detached. He seems like a guy who's yeah. like, how does having sex help me stop villains? Right, right, right. Uh, but sometimes but they make if him... he were going to set about the task. Yes. I feel like there'd be no option that he wouldn't consider. If to save Gotham, he had to pleasure a woman. He'd be great at it. He'd be, he would do everything. Yeah. And more. He would invent things that we've never considered. So what's this uh, email uh, saying about it? I'm hoping you guys can give me a definitive ranking of the best and worst superheroes and or supervillains in bed. Uh, we're having a lot of love and sex talk about superheroes. Uh, You two are the definitive authority when it comes to comic books. That's true. So I hope you'll be able to help me out. Best regards, Mike Held. Uh, So let's just name a few characters that we think would be extraordinarily good. I got one right off the bat. Sure. I think Prince Namor is probably like a passionate lover. I feel like Mm -hmm. he almost won Sue Storm away from from her lifelong love, Reed Richards. Uh, I think when it comes to stretchy characters... I think elongated man would be the best. Yes, because that's a very happy marriage, right? Like they're they're they really seem very lovey dovey and affectionate with each other. And he seems just the most human. Where like plastic right. man is too goofy. So we're talking about this because the physical abilities of a plastic man seem to be very uh, yes. conducive to sex, right? right. Like you could create uh, protrusions and right. objects as needed. Blah blah blah. But Plastic Man would be too busy ta- turning into, like, talking slot machines yeah, and things. Be like, <laughs> yeah, he'd be, like, so, yeah, sort of, like, making it, you know, like a tiny, like, cuckoo clock or whatever where he also comes out of the cuckoo clock <laughs> right. and talks somehow. 
And Reed Richards would be more like stretching into the other room to check on his laboratory experiments. Yeah, but Elongated Man would be getting out of business. Yeah. So I think of the stretching characters, Elongated Man is the most likely to I think be that's a, a great good, pick. Uh, sexual lover. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do you think? Do you think Spider-Man okay. would be? This is a discussion we had on the Amazing Spider Talk Slack channel. Well, he's super in shape, right? Like Superman is just yeah. perpetually like... Spider-Man. F- Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man is in shape. Yes. What did I say? Superman. <laughs> oh, jeez. Do you remember in the early Spider-Man issue where they just said Superman instead of Spider-Man in yeah, one yeah. of the speech balloons? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't corrected? Yeah. You're, um, you're real guess, Stan Lee, I guess, is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. So, Spider-Man is always in shape, so we know that like he's physically appealing mm-hmm. and he's really strong. Um, but I think he is easily distracted, right? I feel I feel like he'd be good, but not... Ex- I feel like he'd have bad times you know he's yeah. also got a lot of guilt going on yeah he's also second guesses himself a lot and yeah uh, the old parker luck neurotic you know? and anxious premature ejaculation the old parker luck can't get i can't <laughs> escape it so parker peter parker would have times where he'd be very good but most of the time he would be mediocre or bad i think That's, he'd be medium i think he'd be medium i think people would be like i think his love interest would be like wow look at this this is gonna be great and then they'd be like yeah that was, that was all right <laughs> once in a while he probably knocks it out of the park sure and then the rest of the time he's just sort of like oh, i bet you i, I bet I, you i forgot venom i gotta go is, check on aunt may <laughs> i bet you venom is great <laughs> wow venom <laughs> All right. I mean, maybe. Uh, I think Vulture's probably really good uh, when he's not talking about wings. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I bet you Craven the Hunter is good. Sure, yeah. He seems... Single-minded, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Very, like, task-oriented. Yeah. Lots of potions. That's probably very Cosby, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I shouldn't make jokes about that. But I always think of Craven <laughs> and his potions, like, using yeah, yeah. things to, like, get things done. I think he'd more be using aphrodisiacs because he, yeah, 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 he yeah. wouldn't want to be, like, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't count if he roofied yeah, he somebody. Yeah, he wouldn't want to uh, cheat. Yeah. Uh, there's some characters that are probably just too full of themselves to do a good job. Um, like, yeah, uh, Dr. Doom was probably, it's probably a very lazy lover. He expects everything done yeah. to him for him talking about himself in the third person during the act mm-hmm. you must be thrilled to be being pleased by dr doom it's like yeah not really he also probably it. has his robots do it <laughs> that was just a doom bot i would have been a great lover <laughs> when it was really he just he blames it on doom bots maybe no, he wasn't that great in bed that was a doom bot <laughs> um uh, how's, how's Wolverine? I bet you Wolverine is I bet it's Wolverine, kind of like sad and intense. You know what I mean? It's like the tragic, broken man. I bet Wolverine's not that great. He's really? been alive too long. I think he'd just been be... alive too long. I think he'd be just exhausted by everything. Too weary. I think it's just like the 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 fun of it. I think he probably falls in love hard, but sexually I think it's just like... I don't know. He's just like, it's, he's been doing it too long for that to matter to him as much. You know who I bet is great? She-Hulk. Yeah, I bet that's like true. Like fun, present, uh, uh, beautiful. Um, I think there's emotional, you know, like you know, she dated Wyatt Wingfoot for a while. And I recall, they, they were, I, I think there was an arc where they, they portrayed her as... Uh, an adventurous lover or like, like Tony Starkish in her, like she sleeps around 
not yeah. a negative connotation that that phrase sounds in the like sexual uh, freedom yeah. sort of yeah in the, in the same way good for her uh sense yeah <laughs> good for her I don't, I don't know i don't know, say, I don't know I lo- the, no i think that's a good description of it i think that's just really funny like when people have sex a lot you say they sleep around but that sounds negative sometimes that's meant like slut shaming yeah and i don't mean it that way and i don't think the i don't recall the book i read feeling that way um I bet you She-Hulk is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Invisible Woman uh, is interesting because she's got those force fields. So physically, there's an interesting ability there. But she, if she's but, with Reed, I bet she's not that great. Yeah, they're probably sort she's, of milk toasty, right? She's had one partner. He's not that good. There, so, were, there was reference to burn uh, in the burn issues of those two having sex where they like asked to be left alone for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember it was kind of naughty. I just have trouble imagining them. They don't seem like a hot couple. No. Yeah. Um, we we just were talking about so many men. I'm trying to think of the uh, the other genders sure. here. Um, I don't know Captain Marvel from the books, but I think that Brie Larson would be super hot. So it makes me think <laughs> that Captain Marvel would be good. Yeah, I got to I mean, she's uh, She's military, right? Uh, on leave. I think she knows how to <laughs> unwind and have fun. Uh, when, it's, when she's working, she's all business. When she's not, she's probably Do great. we know her sexuality? I feel like I, I don't even really know she her love interest. She's straight in the comics. Uh-huh. I don't believe she's bi. Uh, mm-hmm. But she's definitely dated uh, uh, Rhodey War Machine for a while. Ooh, nice. Um, it's fun when the heroes can do it in the sky. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. All right, uh, I think that's enough sex talk from the Heinz brothers. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. That's not something that people are clamoring for. Uh, we have an email from Scott Larson, a longtime fan, first time writer. I've enjoyed your podcast from the beginning, and I'm really enjoying your run on Superior Spider Man. I'm glad you both seem to enjoy the series. Uh, I've recently come to realize what a huge world I've been missing out on when it comes to foreign media. I pretty much have only consumed American television, movies, etc. growing up, but have enjoyed trying to dabble with more international media. Do either of you have any foreign comics you've enjoyed? Obviously, Neil Gaiman is from the UK, mm-hmm. who would probably count. Japanese manga seems to be a big one. Have you ever dabbled in that? Thanks again for the great podcast that keeps me going through my boring office job. I'm always excited for my weekly dose of Heinz Bros banter. Uh, P.S. I was very sorry to hear that Morpheus was voted off of comedy Bang Bang the other week. Rest <laughs> in peace. Yeah, that's true. That was a that was sad for you. Morpheus is voted out, and I'm going to honor that. He's not coming back forever, unless it's like one of those. Th- there has to be like a comic booky like justification mm-hmm. to undo that continuity, sure. or like when you come he's back, not, you'll he's have, not just going to. You'll just have to explain up. it if you show if you do him again. Yeah, it's kind of good because I was frankly out of ideas. Um. Anyway, uh, I've not read much f- foreign comics. I've read a little here and there, but not very much, like very, very little. Uh, have you read any foreign comics? Not too much. Um, I've, I have not delved too much into manga a little bit. Um, I read a little bit of Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my biggest uh, exposure to this is Raw. Uh, you know, the comics anthology by Art Spiegelman and sure, Francois yeah. Mouly. Richard Sala um, used to be in there, so I read uh, those. Yeah, so like those, I think those started coming out in either the late seventies or early eighties, and you'd go into like a bookstore uh, uh, and um, to go to the sort of like art section. There wasn't really a graphic novel section in the eighties in like Walden Books or Barnes and Noble, but you could go to the art books or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'd have raw and Art Spiegelman would sort of go out of and Francois Mouly, the the married couple who were the editors, would sort of gather 
non-traditional comics sources. And in particular, they would get like somebody from Scandinavia, somebody from South America. Um, and I was exposed to them just in those little samples. Yeah. They, they, they also promoted a lot of alt indie American people like Chris Ware sort of before they had their moment. Mm -hmm. And these books were like beautiful and compelling. It was also kind of good because it was a sampler, right? So you'd have like four or five pages from each of these people. So I had kind of like a brief smattering of exposure and it did open my eyes to like, wow, there's wildly different art styles that look cool in the comic book sequential art form. I mean, Love and Rockets is arguably... Uh, uh, a Latin American comic. Well, they are California boys, but they're they're Mexican American descent, and they lean yeah. hard oh, into their heritage. So, yeah, I mean, most of the foreign comics I've or foreign creators I've read are people uh, when they've done American comics. Unfortunately, yeah, like an artist who who comes to America or or doesn't even necessarily come here, but draws an American comic. Uh, I I've read I like the first volume of Lone Wolf and Cub as well. I feel like I've read something in manga. Somebody recently recommended Dragon Ball Z to me, which I, I plan to check out at some point, but I have not read it. Um, there's a couple other. There's like a uh, there's a couple of things I've I've like I've read the first volumes of things. Like I just read uh, Lucky Luke, which is like a Belgian western. Um, I read one volume of that. Oh, is that from Juiced Swart? I don't know what Juiced Swart is. That is a name of a man. Hang on, I'm looking right now. Okay, I read. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. Um, there's a comic book collection I have called "Is That All There Is," and I'm probably saying his name wrong. But it's it. it if I'm going to Americanize his name, it's Juiced Swart, mm -hmm. and it is. Um, it basically looks like Tintin comics, but it's not the Tintin yeah. guy, and uh, it's you know it's got that kind of like. Uh, almost um, technical drawing aspect, sort of very clean, fine, uh, yeah, almost Spartan like sort of landscapes, but sort of lots of abstract stuff going on, and it looked really cool. That was something I bought, and I discovered him, I think, through Raw. I think through Raw. I read like a volume of Torpedo, which is a Spanish like gangster comic. Who were the guys that um, Keith Giffen's always accused of swiping compositions from? Oh, yeah. I don't know. It starts with an M, I think. Um, yeah, Munoz. I, I always thought that, that that was a hostile and sort of like unfair. Um, some, sometimes the whole swipes accusation, I never quite know when to be offended by that and when that's like, oh, yeah, this person truly is just like getting all their ideas from other artists. I think he's... Or when it's like... They're just inspired. They just learned from these I think people. he has admitted that like he was really inspired by that guy and went a little too far in doing that. I've read him say that, but like it doesn't feel like it was ever on purpose. So the okay, it's Jose Munoz and Carlos Sampaio. Um that that's who Keith Giffen is accused of like stealing swiping from. Um Munoz and Sampaio were in Raw a lot. And they do, you know, Giffen definitely like got his style from these guys, you know, like, but you could say, you know, Tarantino got like, you know, you look at a Tarantino fight sequence and it's basically like he got it from, um, oh God, what's the guy's name who did all the, the pigeons? John Woo? Yeah, John Woo. Um, <laughs> the pigeons, what a dumb way to remind somebody of John <laughs> Unfortunately, Woo. I got it. I, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like, what's the difference between learning something from it and being inspired by and swiping? It's a it's a tough line. But anyway, Munoz and Sapayo did have really cool, moody, noir-ish comics. It's also good for an artist to be inspired by somebody at not from America, so they're bringing yeah, something not, new. Yeah, not Jack Kirby. Yeah, so uh, I'm into that. But yeah. yeah, not enough, Scott, is the real answer. Yeah, we don't know shit. This is an email from Elliot from London. Um, I'm a sucker for groups of males getting earnestly emotional about superficial, silly things like comics. And after the lovely mushiness of your episode with Chris Gethard, I yeah. had to get the Walt Simonson Mighty Thor omnibus. I've always heard this was good, but it had never dipped in. So looking forward to reading that. Uh, you're you're, you're going to love it. I'm still going through your back catalog of episodes, but I wondered if you spent much time discussing the really lame parts of comics much. By this, I don't mean nerd, the mer- nerd culture about it. I mean the most shamefully dorky aspects of comics culture. I started reading comics in what was potentially the most excessive and awful period, the 90s. There was so much lame stuff around that even as an 11-year-old, I found profoundly embarrassing. The Marvel swimsuit, swimsuit specials come to mind. Yeah. I couldn't work out who those were for. Maybe they were much more arch or subversive than I could process at the time, but I very much doubt it. They were, of course, offensive and appallingly problematic for so many reasons, but more so for me, it just felt like at the same basic level, they were the most brainlessly uncool thing I could imagine. In that vein, there were so many comics like Lady Death with female characters in such awful, over-sexualized outfits and poses, which always seemed Mm -hmm. to be advertised in comic shops. I could tell by the covers they must be totally dreadful. I know there are still many modern comics like this, of course. Uh, Yeah, uh... I agree with that. I hated those swimsuit specials. They, I don't get that. I want stories for one yeah. thing, but uh, uh, it, I generally am uncomfortable when it when it's overtly sexualizing characters. Uh, um, male, so it could be female. fun, right? The Amazing Heroes, the Fantagraphics news magazine would do a swimsuit special where they had artists draw, and it was kind of more... Um, I don't know. It seemed better somehow. It was like a little bit less thirst trap and more just like hey it's fun to draw all of these characters that you don't think of going to the beach on the beach yeah i mean look i love adam hughes and his characters are drawn very sexually and beautiful the women in particular but also the men uh but at the same time like if he did just a swimsuit issue i'm not picking it up so i don't i don't know necessarily the answer there is and there are characters like lady death is a good example but like vampirella Uh uh-huh who was like been around forever uh, and she's like the scantily clad vampire alien thing. Uh, Christopher Priest is writing it right now, and I tried to read a few issues, and I still just couldn't get into it. It just still feels so weird to me. Yeah. Um, uh, or Red Sonia. I read a, rec- uh, a run on Red Sonia recently by a, a writer named Mark Russell that was really good. But she okay. seems like a character that was at least initially a, I guess she was just a female Conan character, but hmm. barely wearing anything. <laughs> um, so uh, that stuff is tough. I don't, it's, it's, uh, I'll say though, I, find it yeah, I mean, I, I do too. Um, but there's something fun about like just sexiness in comics and like, uh, and also pulpiness. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, I, I don't know how to define this, but sometimes, sometimes like sex, drugs, crime stuff. I don't know. It's it's fun sometimes yeah. if a story becomes like pulpy. Sure. It, dep- it kind of depends what the vibe is. If it feels like desperate and thirsty, it's like kind of lame. You know, if it's sort of like boner material for 12-year-old boys, that's like kind of gross. But if it's like, 
a fun femme fatale and like a, yeah. and a ladies man who is like a scoundrel. Uh, it can be great, right? So obviously, you know, it depends on. The I mean, details. I think the issue is if it feels like it came out. If if the point was to titillate first. And story yeah, second, then it's, then it's kind of lame. It's tough, and even like Christopher Reese is doing Vampirella, and I'm sure it's good. Christopher Priest is an amazing writer, but the roots of that character are so convoluted and just <laughs> selling you on her body that I, yeah, it's a lot of work to do. With things so like take Love Jenny and McCarthy's persona from Singled Out and make it a twelve issue maxi yeah. series, but if you like, look at like Love and Rockets or Hundred Bullets uh, uh, or yeah. even Sex Criminals, those yeah. are all great. Yeah. One thing about Love and Rockets that I love, you know, that's one of my favorites. That's why I brought and, it up. And that, that kind of um, is an interesting like barometer of is this art or is it kind of shallow cheesecake stuff? Um, the it, Are there di- are different body types on display? Like Love and Rockets, I mean, these, these are two horn dogs. They go too far a lot of times in their depictions of sex, but they have wide varieties of body types having sex, like men and women, like sort of your classic comic book shapes. Yep, that's there, but also like super thin people, really, really overweight uh, mm-hmm. uh, people, um, um, voluptuous, uh, in between, uh, older people, uh, younger people. Uh, they're, they're, they're like fascinated by showing a kind of broader spectrum of sexual activity uh, the book is not primarily about sex, although if you pick up the wrong issue, you might not. You might think so. Uh, and I would say that, that was interesting. It's like, oh yeah, in comic books, everybody kind of has the same anatomy, you know, like yeah. a twelve pack, four biceps, mm-hmm. Barbie, Barbie writ large. Um, so sometimes it's just sort of like, yeah, they're different people. So that's one drawn. of the things you don't like about Love and Rockets is they're not. I don't like it. I wish they enough. were all just. Mm-hmm. Just Superman and Wonder Woman only body shapes. That's I mean, what I, I hate get, about. I it. agree with you. Uh, okay. uh, I think we've got time for one or two more. Will, what do you think? I got nothing going on. Okay. Well, I think I've got time for one or two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do. We got an email here from. We're up to June twenty eighth now. It's from Alan Dibner. Uh, I'm a fairly new listener, but I've been burning through many of the episodes, skipping around a bit. I'm really enjoying the enthusiasm and humor you both bring to the podcast each time. I also fell in love with Marvel from reading those pocketbook reprints that mm-hmm. we talk about a lot, Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it's nice to hear fans with a similar experience talking about the medium we all love. Two questions for the mailbag. I was thinking if you, our esteemed podcast hosts, are the milksops, then maybe the listeners need a name too. So with an inspiration from the old Marvel fan club that Stan started, how about the Merry Milksop Marching Society? <laughs> uh, and he links to the song about the Merry Marvel Marching Society. <laughs> I love the idea of our listeners being the Merry, the MMMS, the Merry Milksop Marching Society. I have tried to, you know, I think about doing a, I think about doing a Patreon now and then because I have all these like various like things that are a lot of times crowdsourced, but I've never done it because it feels like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Never quite felt comfortable with it. Also, I'm spread out over so many things that it would be weird. Yeah. But what I have, I was like, how could I have like an army of betas? Like, how, how can I both inspire a crowd of supporters and yet maintain my what I really enjoy is having sort of a beta low energy <laughs> appeal, you know? <laughs> so like a Merry Milksop Marching Society seems up my alley personally and probably up our alley. Yeah, like could we could we have a convention where we open with a keynote speech and we start with an apology, like that <laughs> that sort of thing, 
you know, the opening apology of the convention. Or yeah, we, we're definitely we've got sort of a uh, um, a Gru letter column feel <laughs> to our style. We're sort of just like, why do you, why do you listen to us? Yeah, uh, uh, the usual the, gang of idiots. Yeah. Um, why do you listen to us? If you've heard one episode, you probably don't want to come back. You must not have anything better to do. <laughs> like that. Yeah. We're one step better than that in our way of selling ourselves. Right. So that Merry Marching Milksop Society fits that. Uh, if you were working for Marvel Comics back in the 1960s, what nickname would you want Stan the Man to give you? Like Jack King Kirby, Jazzy John Rita, Gene the Dean Colon. Uh, apologies if you answered that one in an episode I haven't listened to yet. Uh I hear it's okay to not always do your research. Um, I feel like maybe we have, maybe we haven't. I don't remember. Um, Will's a tough one. So is Kevin. K, once you get two Ks, you start getting too many Ks in a row. It starts feeling strange to me. You got King Kirby, but can't, well, that, but that I can't, I can't, yeah, I don't want to be King Kevin. That, that seems, uh, is Heinz, are there H words that we could use? Um, hefty. (laughs) Ouch. <laughs> uh, hangdog. Uh, <laughs> hapless. Uh, happy. Uh, weary Will Hines and hap- Kevin Hapless Hines. <laughs> workaholic. I mean, sort of a sort of a compliment. Workaholic Will Hines and mm-hmm. um, Kevin Hackathon Hines. <laughs> uh, we, we do not have good nicknames. If people want to suggest yeah. them, uh, send them in. Yeah, we'd love we'd love some good bullpen names uh, for future episodes. Hoping you eventually cover John Burns FF as you seem to be considering it. We should mention here that we uh, uh, were on Marvel's The Pull List talking about a little bit about John oh, Burns yeah. um, FF. We talk about childhood's end and, and his a, run a in great general. issue from the burn run. Yeah. So that was really fun. Uh, Marvel pull list. They're just super passionate fans of comics in general and Marvel in particular. Yeah. So that, we, we talked about John Burns run there. Yeah. So that really would fun. have come out just a couple weeks ago. Uh, we didn't know when it popped out, but uh, someone pointed it out to me. So uh, by the time this podcast is released, it'll have been like a week or so ago. Okay, great. But yeah, you can listen to us talk about John Burns FF a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if we cover some of it in this it's podcast. It's definitely something we talk about a lot. It's one of our contenders. We've just always had other things to get to. Uh, he talks about some runs um, uh, where FF and the Avengers joined to fight Galactus. Um, he talks the whole Galactus run. He talks about Reed fighting Doc Ock soon after Secret Wars. So he talks about some of that stuff. He also mentions he mentions an X Men comic we just covered today in Uncanny X Men issue one sixteen, and this is something I noticed but I didn't mention in our first half. There's a big moment where Wolverine kills someone for the first time off panel. There's a snick oh, that's sound right. effect and like Nightcrawler sort of is shocked by Mind it. Mind got, he says, or something yeah. like that. And Storm is like also shocked. Yeah, that did happen and uh, we didn't really talk about it. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's... Uh, um, he, he also mentions he's enjoying the new Dan Slot FF run. Uh, I'm not going to read. There's a lot more here. I'm going to move on to one more. Thanks for the email, okay. Alan. Um, and people, if you have nicknames for me and Will, please send them in. <laughs> uh, I might do two more. This one's a quick one. Thomas Williams emails ask about Spider-Man Reign. Just emailing to Reign as in Reign of like. Yeah, the uh, Kingdom's Reign. Yeah. 
Just emailing to find out if either of you read Spider-Man Reign or covered that on any episodes I may have missed. The story is similar to Frank Miller's Dark Knight series where it explores an old man Peter Parker's return to action. It's a wild one and definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Uh, have you read that at all, Will? No, it's been recommended to me. I might even have it. I think somebody might have lent it to me. I read the first issue and I did not care for it, so I have not read the rest. Um, mm. uh, it was depressing and weird. Uh, I feel like Spider-Man is dying from the radio- his radioactive blood or something. Or maybe mm-hmm. his sperm got radioactive and he killed Mary Jane. There's stuff like that. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the art was great, but uh, that was about all I took from it. We get, uh, we get our fill of bleakness sometimes. Uh, a better old man Spider-Man story is the recent Chip Zdarsky Spider-Man life story. I thought that was really fun. Okay. Uh, and it's not all old Spider-Man, but the last issue for sure is. Uh, Matthew Montgomery emails, subject, A Child's Intuition. I've been reading Superior Spider-Man alongside the pod, and I'm loving it so far. At a moment, I found amusing. I was reading issue number five on my tablet when my three-year-old came up behind me and pointed to a panel that was just Otto Peter's face and said, Not nice guy. It's truly amazing how intuitive a child can be. Kevin, have there been any fun instances where your child just sensed something innately? Uh, don't worry. I, she was not apo- exposed to any of Massacre's crimes. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything offhand. Kids are very intuitive. They do know who's good or bad kind of right away. When we watched Into the Spider-Verse, uh, Miles's uncle is bad in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets the nuance that he's a bad guy, but not necessarily bad to, like, does not mean to be bad to Miles. Right. Uh, be, I think he also, because of like you and Brian, uh, uh, knows uncles are good. <laughs> like if it's your uncle, that's a good thing. Like this is your family yeah. and this is someone you love and that takes care of you. And, the, and yeah. that. Uh, and that's that, a relief. I'm glad he's like, uncle's always bad. <laughs> Just like, uh, oh, and the prowler no, is on? evil. But like when he takes his mask off, he's good. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen your son distinguish between mask on, mask off for villains. Yeah. So I think he. He doesn't think of the Prowler. He thinks the Prowler is a bad guy, but the guy under the costume is not Uncle a bad Aaron. guy. Yeah. And I think that's a very fun nuance that is more true than not. Because, like, the Prowler, when he realizes it's Miles, sacrifices himself. You know, he won't kill Miles and gets shot by the Kingpin. Right. He knows what's going to happen to him if he doesn't kill him and won't do it. Yeah. It's great. I mean, that movie is so good. Um, I remember watching cartoons with you and Cameron and it was a Disney cartoon and like somebody was behaving kind of mischievously and I don't remember what it was, but Cameron said, you know, so-and-so's doing this. That's not nice. And like he looked yeah. at you and you were like, that's not nice, Cameron. That's right. <laughs> it's like when he was four, I think. Yeah. He is aware of like being good and bad. He's also, uh, um, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like he reads these dog man books now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those books, the villain in the early issues is this cat named Petey. But <laughs> Petey becomes like a good person as the book continues because Petey uh, has a clone child that okay. teaches him to be a better person. Uh, and he, I don't know, like watching him read these books and just being like, oh, no, Petey's not bad. Petey like mm. does this. And like Petey's more of just of a comic relief character to him because he doesn't mm. do that much evil. I mean, it's a very silly book, but like. He does have a very uh, good understanding of like, this isn't good. He, I also sometimes when shows get scary, because I'll watch like superhero stuff with him and he'll get a little nervous sometimes. I will remind him. And luckily this is true for the things I watch with him. But I'm just like, 
Like he'll watch like Spider-Man fighting the Sinister Six and Sinister Six just beating the crap out of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I'll go, do you think Spider-Man's going to lose? And he goes, no, he'll win. Yeah. Like he knows that eventually Spider-Man's going to get back up and win. And in these yeah. cartoons, by the end of the episode, yeah. um, which is good, like uh, it's less scary for him. Yeah, you're not reading Craven's Last Hunt with him where Spider-Man's buried alive for a couple issues. Yeah, uh, not yet. Maybe when he's five and a half. <laughs> uh, uh, one more. Corey Mintz emails, Hi, Milksops. Enjoyed your show this week. You mentioned X-Men 109 felt familiar, and that's the Weapon Alpha issue, Will. Yes. And I'd said, I thought maybe you owned it. I thought maybe I had read it. He goes, that's probably because Alpha Flight 17 was a partial reprint of X-Men 109 framed as a flashback of Heather Hudson's perspective on her deceased husband's first attempt at recovering Wolverine. The cover was a John Byrne redrawing of the Dave Cockrum original. He also said that you've been fans of the initial run of Alpha so you likely read this story 35 years ago but forgot where. That's probably true. That's probably it. That's probably it, because I had all those Alpha Flights. Yeah, I don't think I read all of them, but I I must have read that one because it was very familiar to me. That sounds accurate. That is good detective work. Thank you, Corey. Uh, for explaining why we still did not read that. I think that's going to be it for today, Will. What do you say? I love it. Um, so you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics. We have an Instagram, screwitcomics, where Kevin puts uh, uh, screen grabs of the comics that we're talking about. Hey, if you're a real completist fan, there's also screwitrecent and screwitspidey, our two other Instagram accounts we have. Um Kevin and I were guests on the Marvel poll list, like we said, and then we were also guests on the Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, that should be out by this point as well. It's yes, not, it's so not out as of the recording, but it will be out by the time this podcast release. is released. Yeah, yeah, and we talk about uh, some early '80s uh, Spidey versus non-Spidey villains. Yeah, villains during the Roger Stern run that are not not traditional Spider-Man villains, yeah. like a uh, Fool Killer, Stilt Man, and the Mad <laughs> Thinker. To, to whet your appetite for who we yeah, talk about. Yeah, it was about. really fun, and the Spider Talk guys are really nice, and they really know their stuff. Uh, we, uh, we make fun of not knowing stuff. We do. We we know our stuff pretty well, but huge gaps, and these sure. guys do not seem to have those gaps. I mean, uh, Mark has literally written the book on Spider-Man. He wrote like a book yeah. on like 100 things every Spider-Fan should know or something. Yeah. Um, and got so criticized was- by the producers that it was too, too much comic stuff and not enough movie stuff, and he's like, well, that's what I'm writing. So that guy knows his comic book stuff. And so does Dan, um, of course. Yeah, so it was really fun to be on that podcast. And um, yeah, see, so you can. Yeah, get we're some all more over. Lines. If you want more, if, you, if you're not tired of our voices yet after mm-hmm. this hour plus episode. And look uh, forward to our a convention, the All Apology, <laughs> uh, the We're Sorry You Came convention that we'll organize at some point. Yeah. Well, there'll be War Games panels, uh, uh, Lord <laughs> of the Rings panels, and comic book panels. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it'll be. Uh, I mean, probably, honestly, that would be huge. <laughs> what am I? Who am I kidding? Um, and so we'll see you guys next episode. We're going to wrap up Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. Ever wanted to hear the story of the time that Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine's kid had a two-hour-long tantrum that drove generations of their family to weep? Or maybe the story of SNL's Bobby Moynihan's kid, who found random pizza in a playground sandbox and ate it? If so, you should check out Why Mommy Drinks. 
a weekly comedy podcast where I, Betsy Stover, talk to interesting people like Richard Jefferson from the NBA or Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend about a time that their kids broke them down into a shell of their former selves or maybe even drove them to drink. But in a fun way. If you have kids, this show will make you feel less alone. And if you don't have kids, you're going to be so glad you don't have kids. Listen on Campfire Media, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. My mommy drinks. Campfire.